Welcome to episode 18 of Cyberbytes, the podcast. I'm Oliver Legg, co-founder of Aspiron Search, and excited to welcome Bryson Bort. Bryson is a two-time security founder and a co-founder of the non-profit ICS Security Village. His latest venture, Scythe, has a unique branding and marketing story behind it, and something we go into today. Welcome to the podcast, Bryson, the uh, the unicorn for today's uh, today's episode. Um, welcome to the show, buddy. How are things? Every day is a holiday, Oliver. How are you? Yeah, all good. Uh, every day is a holiday in the UK at the moment with a, a heat wave. So uh, the same Florida weather. Um, yeah, I, 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 your heat wave is is our like early spring. It is. Yeah, they're uh, they're different dif- different categories for sure. Uh, so I, I was I was going to start by talking about your branding and your your headwear today has made that even even more appropriate. So um, for 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 the for the listeners and the the viewers, um, Bryson is the the founder of a, a, a couple of different firms and a and a non profit, um, all focused around a, a Grim Reaper and unicorn type uh, branding and. Having been at RSA and inundated with swag, he he definitely had the 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 best sticker, which has pride and place on my laptop. So yeah, why why don't you talk people through the the branding and the design first of all, because it's uh, an interesting one. Yeah. So uh, first to preface, because for most of you meeting me, you're like this guy's ridiculous, and for the folks who've known me for a long time, they are doubly amused uh, that I have found myself here in my career. Uh, former army officer, uh, did a stint in the intelligence community. So very serious guy doing a lot of very serious work. Um, my my nickname in the intelligence community was Grim. And so 10 years ago, when I quit and founded my first company, which was a consultancy, I named it Grim because that sounded cooler than Bryson. Um, and I had no idea about branding or any of this stuff. And just total coincidence out of the gate, kind of had this idea for the logo, um, found a video game graphics designer um, on one of the, the gig platforms from Blizzard. And he created this right out of the gate. And immediately we learned that this was a, a good logo because I mean, it, everybody remembers it. It wasn't the kind of thing you saw in a proposal and you were like, I'm not gonna remember that name. Um, and then the other funny part is it actually turned into a bit of a Rorschach test because the consultancy was a high-end um, offensive security firm which meant that we weren't just picking anybody up off the street to do work with. And so it turns out the folks that found this uh, comical or sophomoric weren't our customers anyway. The folks who found the humor in it were perfect. So it was a great Rorschach test. Um, every year for DEF CON, the largest annual hacking conference out in Las Vegas, we would do a t-shirt contest. And so we would come up with all these different ideas. In one year, I came up with the idea of a Grim Reaper riding a unicorn because I thought the juxtaposition was incredibly funny. Um, Oliver, this was the design that proved if the cybersecurity thing doesn't work out, plan B is merch. Everybody wanted this design. It blew up. It was huge. And uh, a year after that is when I spun Scythe, which was an R&D project uh, that we'd been working on inside of Grimm. And I spun it out with uh, VC investment. And as I was sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, this, this was really an uh, iconic logo. How do we do that? Well, I can't do brand confusion, so it can't be like the people part of it. Like I can't use the grim. A scythe is just a piece of wood and metal, so it's boring. People are really into these unicorns. So I came up with that. Um, It follows what I call the Disney villain philosophy. The kids think it's cute. The adults get the joke. 
Love that. And, I and then, yes, that. then I started dressing up as the unicorn to lean into the bit. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, and, and just from a, like from a swag perspective, you've got these conferences like RSA where just, I dread to think how many thousands of dollars are poured into merch. And most yeah, it all goes in the trash. Yeah, it all goes in the trash. And there's, yeah. there's, 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 there's a couple of firms that just have really thought through, but often the simplest items and they go the longest way. And as I say, like yours is on my laptop because my daughter loved it. And yep. I think the the people that have the simplest but most useful or memorable merch, it, it, it does the best and often costs the less. Um, so good, good job on the on the branding. Um, yeah, well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take that opportunity to tie, highlight two things. One on all the wastefulness that we see at these conferences. Um, we we like to encourage folks to to be more charity based. Uh, and so consider donating that stuff, particularly like the backpacks. Those are great things to donate. And there's a lot of little things that would really help like the local homeless um, in that conference of city. So recommend that mm. for us, how we did that, because we don't do that kind of swag to avoid it, but we'd link everything to charity. And so um, we actually, we have a swag star, swag store, swag.scythe.io and all of the proceeds go to um, conservation of uh, endangered rhinos which ties back into our brands because rhinos are chubby unicorns. And so just in terms of basing everything back in charity, um, that's a big part of what we do. Um, the second part about that is one of the best items that we ever did uh, a few years ago is we made a coloring book. Um, and so we're going to be bringing the coloring book back to uh, Black Hat in Vegas in two months. So just yeah. heads up. Awesome. Well, make sure you've got a, a load because I'll be uh, filling a suitcase on the way back from <laughs> um but no that's that's great and um so i guess i guess rewinding to to the very start then because we we jump forward to the the firm that you're currently building um whereas your your security journey started way back in in the military so can, can you just kind of take people back to, to how you got into security and then how you ended up being a a, a two-time founder and a non-profit founder uh so I think the qualities that attract people to cybersecurity cross over with the quality of being an entrepreneur, and that's passion. Um, you have to be intellectually curious. Um, and my intellectual curiosity, I think, started where um, I think a lot of people do, which is as a kid, you get told no or something blocks you. And so you're like, I'm going to get around that. For me, it was video games. And so I wanted to break the uh, rights management on video games to be able to play them. From there, then I wanted to modify the video game because it got boring. So I would figure out ways to go into the code directly to change the game. Um, of course, back then, that wasn't security or anything like that. That wasn't something that even was codified quite that way. But uh, that's how I got into it. And it's the same skill set that, of course, applies to the modern world. Um, and uh, yeah, so from there, I mean, it was a career that just naturally flowed from doing that into coding and to making games to continuing to do all that stuff so it was just natural progression of each job kind of opened up when i was ready for it yeah yeah awesome and um and with scythe because we i, I we, we we've come across scythe a few times in the in the professional work aspiron does uh because we did um we did quite a lot of what well, we do a lot of ot and iot um offensive security research projects so you you guys have a very good name in the uh well uh, michigan and, and and wider us um 
Am I right in saying that you handed over kind of being the CEO? And if if so, what what was that like? What was the decision process in saying, right, it's time to take that step away and be a founder, but not be the day-to-day running of the business? Yeah. Um, so full story there. Um, Grim was probably 25 folks in 2016 and uh, Target whom everybody knows Target. And I love the story of Target because they are one of the milestones in this industry. Um, The first that I like to point out, I feel, is firewalls being commercially available um, and broadly used about 2000 plus or minus. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Target in 2012 to 13 was the first time that business writ large was like, we're going to invest in this. It's more than just firewalls and AV. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was a that was a game changer. Um, the next major milestone I would say is MITRE ATT&CK um, because it was the first way to simplify a language for describing attack logic. Um, mm-hmm. It is horribly abused. Almost anywhere you see MITRE ATT&CK, it's being used incorrectly, but that really speaks to the profound simplicity of it. That it, That's why that leads to that. So Target comes to me in 2016, and they had the problem of building a world-class security organization that now what, right? Whether you spend a lot of money on this stuff or little money on this stuff, it's just a matter of time when you're going to get breached. And being able to find the edge cases is a increasingly challenging problem. And so they asked uh, asked me to build a one-off tool. I was shocked. There was nothing on the market that could already do that. And I went back to them and said, well, instead of building you a tool, I build you a platform that allows you to scale your testing on your own terms, whether that's risk, scope, technical ability, like everything just builds on itself and automates a lot of that for you. And that was that was the birth of the Scythe platform, which we call Project Crossbow. So play off the target. Um, and as soon as I realized that that was the case, that's sort of like, this is what I want to do next. I had not been looking to do anything else. I was very happy building a great business at Grimm. But this was such a cool idea to get to take the product to market. That's what I wanted to do. So I spent a year um, documenting and building out all of the strategic structure and pieces for me to move on. Um, I recruited a CEO, brought them on as a principal initially so that they got time in the company and everybody to get to learn them, build the respect, and then handed it over. And I I was not one of those founders who was like still meddling, you know, still coming in, putting stuff in the soup. I was like, this is my R&D project. You run the company. Anybody comes to me, I'm going to point them to you. And I did. Um, and uh, yeah, that was it, what, what ultimately led to me getting VC investment because the advantage with, with Grimm is we could fund the R&D, but I lacked the commercialization experience. I'd never taken a software product to market. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that that uh, has nothing to do with building software. Um, and so that's where I decided to bring in VCs. And it was uh, Ron Gula, who uh, co-founded Tenable, who anchored me uh, with uh, Dmitry Alperovich from CrowdStrike. That was my board when we launched at the end of 2018. Mm. So a, a serious crack team to, to launch, a, launch a cybersecurity company with. <laughs> Two of about the best coaches you could hope for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um what what was that process like seeking investment were you were you set from very early on on the, the, the these are my two guys or 
were you were you interviewing and being interviewed by tens of VCs? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, the same cluelessness that led me to need to start this path was the same cluelessness that I embarked upon the path. It, it, it really, it's very consistent. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I would summarize it as arduous, painful, and again, I was clueless. Um, I, uh, I probably met with about 80 different potential investors. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was in a, I was in a pitch meeting to a VC's board within a month of me starting, which I was just like, Oh, okay. I didn't even know what that was. Right. I, I flew up to the city to meet with these folks. So I'm kind of like bumbling through it and, and I didn't realize how big a deal it was to even get to that. And it seemed so easy right off the bat. And then of course, you know, I didn't see another one of those for like a year. <laughs> um, uh, I, Didn't want to get the, the the dog walking on the the floor into this. She's laying back down. Supervisor's back in her position. Um, uh, I also got stabbed in the back by one VC, um, really hardcore. I that was also a learning experience. Um, and it was uh, it was Ron at a conference in New York City. I remember this was uh, May of 2018. He's like, "You're having breakfast with me. Like, we're gonna sit down and talk." And uh, he was like, "I love." I love what you're saying. I love the dual use of this, which means, you know, this has government and uh, private industry application. Um, I like your background. Uh, and to his credit, he, he's like, I want to put your tool in my lab. And Ron put our platform through the paces. Uh, he was every day texting with like, hey, what about this? What about that? Or da, 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 or hey, look at this really cool thing I did. And then it was uh, a few weeks later, we had um, the verbal for a term sheet. Yeah, awesome. and then once you get the anchor, everything goes a lot faster. Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, there might be things that you can't you can't say, but what what can you share about the experience of getting stabbed in the back, so that other raising founders can try and uh, avoid being in the same situation? Um, hmm. I mean, the simplest answer is I could just give you the guy's name, which. I won't do, um, although I really want to, because uh, just don't work with him. He's a terrible human being with no integrity. Um, that's, that's I think, what I would summarize it as, is uh, you can't beat integrity. This is something that is inculcated us in the military. At the end of the day, I have to be back to back with people in a foxhole looking my my range of fire. And I can you have to trust that the other person does what they say that they're going to do and can do what they say they're going to do, right? It's the, that you're not going to lie to me and you're competent enough to execute it. And I would suggest look at everybody very harshly through that lens, through that process, because getting in with an investor is, it's like getting married. I mean, you are contractually into the same situation and you can't just annul that. You can't just, I mean, a divorce is expensive and painful. You don't want to do that, right? You want to be working together to focus on building and bringing this idea to market. And so I would suggest, again, look very harshly at everybody through that lens of, can I even trust them? Because it's so hard as a young a entrepreneur because you're you're just desperate for any attention. You're desperate for anybody to even think about giving you money. Like all of these things seem so magical and impossible that you're willing to compromise because you feel that's the only way. Don't. Stick to the principles of integrity. If you have any question, move on. And that's probably the hardest thing to ever do as an entrepreneur is when somebody says they want to give you a lot of money and you say, no, I don't want your money. 
but you'll be so much happier in the long term. Yeah. Well, and even harder to do if you've spoken to 50 VCs, no one's given you an offer and that's that's your first one. So yeah, I can I can see why people fall down that trap. Yep. Um, and um so Scythe being a being a service company and then Scythe is a sorry, platform. Grim, sorry, Grim, platform. Service. Grim is services. Yeah. Grim and people Scythe. Scythe tool. That was see. What's what's the difference? Uh, in terms of running it, because I can imagine sales cycle oh. is significantly different. Um, and then pricing and, and contract lens. So what 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 did you learn in the difference between running a, a product versus a services firm? Sure. So the first part that is critical is recognizing you're dealing with a different economic model. Um, mm -hmm. Most folks just think of money as making money, but there's models to making money and there's fundamentally two different models. Services, an hour of time is worth an hour of pay. Whether you get paid a dollar, whether you get paid a hundred thousand dollars, it is still tied to a human amount of resource, mm -hmm. which is why the multiples and valuations are tied more explicitly to that um, and lower because it only scales as you hire people. Um, the other part about a services business is uh, you are the fun and not fun a part of it at the same time is you're you don't have like a catalog item. It's not like one assessment, please, right? Each one requires custom engagement, understanding, relationship management, and all of those pieces. Uh, so it's kind of, like I said, fun because you're constantly like trying to learn and like, well, this is what you need. And that means this, this, and this, and this thing we haven't thought of. And boom, that's your package, right? And then that's fun, but it's also exhausting because you're constantly right on this mm. kinetic like frequency of hunting and bringing it in. And each one is a little different, which takes extra work. Uh, in a product company, uh, your unit of measure is the product, right? My economics are what is somebody willing to pay for whatever that is? That's it, right? That could be, again, I could pay a dollar a license. I could pay $100,000 a license every year. Uh, the economic model scales differently because it's the software that, that goes with it and whatever the market is willing to pay for that. Uh, the part that simplifies really quickly is you sell a product. The product pretty much does what you say it does, and that's it. Um, you don't customize this stuff because there's nothing to customize. Here's the tool. Um, you might have a feature request that we may, might include on a future roadmap, but I'm not custom packaging to you. Mm -hmm. um, I think growing a consultancy, a services organization is a lot easier because, again, the economic model is person by person. And so your growth is very organic. Um, you grow and then you sort of tip over person by person as opportunities come and grow. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas a product company, typically you are uh, cash invested. And so you are in a growth model. You are in these plateaus of achieve a certain level, hire a bunch of people, achieve a certain level, hire a bunch of people. And that's the step function through the raises that you go through. Uh, and I don't think people really appreciate how hard that part is. I cannot tell you how many technical founders I've had the conversation with in the last two years where I'm like, the hardest part is not the tech, it's the people. Uh, and as you're going through these step functions, I think the first initial step function is the hardest because going from scrappy seed to A round, that difference in size is the greatest difference you'll ever have, right? A round, you'll have a large enough base. And yeah, even if you grow that much, it's still off of a larger base for the B round. So the A round, I think, is where you really see these three phases the most. The first is the honeymoon. Holy cow, I'm getting a ton of money to be able to invest in the ideas. 
as a seed company, you're scrappy, right? You're looking for the 25th hour in a day. There is no more money or people to do something. You only got what you got. A round, you now have the ability to do that. So that's that initial honeymoon of, yay, I, I got there. Quickly followed by what I would say is the wilderness because of the manifold people problem at multiple levels. Who from the seed team is going to grow into the next level or stay for as we scale? And I need to hire a bunch of individual contributors, probably in functions that didn't even exist before. And I'm now going to need to build some level of middle management because I have so many middle, you know, individual contributors. And at the same time, I'm scaling my leadership team. And I'm trying to do all of that at the same time, considering I nobody hires 100%. So you're hiring wrong and you are constantly doing that. So I call that the wilderness. Um, that's whatever period of time that is. I would say 12 to 24 months. And then you get into what I call the execution phase. You've gone through all the grist of building an organization that is led and executed by the right people. And now you can actually move forward on the vision. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Interesting way of putting it. And so what, what stage would you say you're in now? We're in execution. Yeah. So you've made it past. I, I went through the wilderness. The, the end of 22 was the end of my wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, no, fantastic. And uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that's a good kind of uh, roundup of site as well. And then there's the, uh, the, the, on the side where you must be finding a 25th hour is uh, the, the little thing about also running a nonprofit. So talk, uh, talk, talk us through that and how on earth you, uh, you, you find the time. Yeah. So the ICS village, which is a 501c3 that I co-founded with Tom Van Norman is probably the example of, I don't like my own fright free time, I guess. Cause I, that's, that's what I do in my free time. Um, yeah. So we are education, uh, training and advocacy for critical infrastructure security. ICS is industrial control system. So for those of you who are not familiar with the operational technology side of the house, uh, it's any computer that's at least 20 years old. That's what we deal with. That is what the ICS village is about. Uh, we are mainstays at RSA and uh, DEF CON. We have our own conference called Hack the Capital that takes place in Washington, DC every year. Uh, the seventh one is targeted for March of next year. Uh, it's a multi-day conference with members of Congress, think tanks, industry, government. I mean, it is it is probably the premier uh, critical infrastructure conference on policy. Um, and then we, we, we support other security conferences throughout the year, bringing different exhibits of different levels and capture the flags. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I uh, last year was my first year at DEF CON and uh, yeah, seeing your, uh, I think it was a, um, a, a model wind turbine uh, and yep. I think uh, a renewable power plant um, that was set up in one of the conference rooms at, at yep. CES. So uh, yeah, it was an impressive thing to see. Yeah, we have a lot of those kinds of things. The real one that's, uh, I think, the most popular that we debuted last year um, was the escape room. Uh, the problem was that uh, it was so popular, it effectively sold out before we even started the conference. So mm -hmm. we've co we've cooperated uh, to expand the scale and what we can do. So we'll be having two of them. So for those of you who really wanted to do the escape room last year, uh, we heard you. We're bringing back more, and uh, it's worth checking out because it is it's it is the like hands-on kinesthetic CTF, but it's not so complicated that a beginner can't learn from doing it. So don't be intimidated when you come to our village. 
Yeah, yeah, awesome. And for for people that do want to get into uh, industrial security, um, what what routes are there for them? Because if if you want to do web app, then you've got Hack the Box and all sorts of uh, of online training platforms. Where is is that what ICS Village offers, or how 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 can someone get into industrial security? Yeah, so the industrial stuff is harder because. Uh... It's, it's more difficult to virtualize correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I'm dealing with physical equipment, it's not meant for concurrency. So I can only have one person on the thing at a time uh, versus I can just build up an entire VM architecture of networking and all of this stuff. And you can have multiple people doing multiple things in IT. So those limitations uh, have been a real struggle for a lot of the, the training options. Uh, that is what the village offers in person at the different events that we do. Um, I'm not really sure where to point folks for training otherwise, because I've never really seen it. I've seen lots of talks. I've seen, but like actually learning, um, not not as off, not not really an option because mm-hmm. mostly it needs to be a person. Yeah, unless you've got a model power plant in a in in your 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 home office, which I'm sure. Yeah, I mean cool. the recommendation for that I I point for folks to get started is go on eBay, buy a cheap PLC, a programmable logic controller, and start playing, um, and kind of grow from there. Off off you go. Yeah. No. Awesome. Um, and with with Scythe, what what is what is next for Scythe for for people wanting to see where you can take the business? What what can you uh what can you tell people to, to look out for? Sure. Uh, so I think the interesting thing about us is while we have been lumped into the breach and attack simulation space, we never really fit that. Not because the name doesn't seem to match what we do, but because the other companies that are in it don't, we don't do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so we've been this outlier. And the reason for that is what, I, I guess I'm lucky to be lumped anywhere because what I'm about to say, which is what we've built is effectively for a market that does not exist. I mean, if you look at what we do, we are at core, uh, what would be termed red team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean that from a tool perspective, because at the end of the day, a red team's purpose is driving threat behavior for understanding and improvement. And that's what the tool does is it can recreate any threat behavior safely from scratch, including the logic of that, which is one of the parts that's more red teamy than breach and attack simulation, which doesn't do logic. It just does. Remember when I said MITRE attacks being abused, breach and attack simulation has failed you on MITRE attack. It has turned it into a bingo card and it's completely malpractice. I'm, I'm that vehement now having seen a number of customers spend years investing in these tools to literally have nothing. And they think they've got something, which is the malpractice part. Um, sorry, that part I get really upset about because I'm, I'm now seeing it more and more. Um, so great, you, 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 you talk a big game there from your ivory tower of what you just told me is you're really not making a lot of money because there's not a lot of market there, um, which is why we lean so hard into purple team because it was a way to bridge that gap. But still that's not really like a whole market either. So our whole roadmap now is accessibility. I think our tech is innovative and the most valuable and interesting in the space. It's just never been accessible. Um, It was the kind of thing that only like a few people here and a few companies were able to really understand and work with. And that doesn't need to be that way. And so our whole focus is integration and automation to make this complicated idea 
available to everybody in an enterprise. I mean, if you think about it, everybody in an enterprise has a security use case requirement. Why can't a sysadmin check a configuration before they push it? Why can't a network engineer validate a, a configuration before they push? Well, because typically that meant a request that led to a person over here to be able to do those kinds of things. And there's no way that's going to happen because there's so few of them and so much demand. Well, a tool can solve that if it's accessible. And so our goal is to any of these folks along the line, beyond just folks in blue, basically whatever their tool of choice is, so their workflow, having that little unicorn in the corner that they can press the unicorn and it automatically goes and safely does the stuff and gives them the data back where they need it. So that's that's our roadmap of what we're doing. Yeah, awesome. No, sounds uh, sounds exciting. And um, especially in the in the times we're in, it, it's uh, yeah, it's good to see companies still flourishing um, with uh, some of the doom and gloom that often gets uh, posted out there. It's uh, it's not not all to be uh, to believe. Um, so for for anyone wanting to to follow you, um, you've got a, a pretty entertaining Twitter feed and uh, some pretty uh, pretty solid dishes out there. So uh, uh, from a from a cooking perspective, so if uh, if Scythe doesn't work out, you can always go on a, a American Master Chef. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, see yeah. how that goes. I, I do have a cooking show that I launched at the beginning of the pandemic called Unicorn Chef. Um, it's been a little sporadic with travel and I've also been scaling the show. So there are now uh, five of us um, and the whole uh, approach to the show is pick a charity, pick a recipe, and then uh, the host with the guest chef cooks it together, um, highlighting a charity. So that's, that's Unicorn Chef. But yes, thank you. I'm I'm glad that I, again, plan B is merch and plan C, I guess, is a restaurant. Well, hopefully you won't need them. <laughs> um, but what's your what's your Twitter? For, I'll put it in the show notes in the same. At Bryson Bort. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, thanks for coming on, Bryson. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Oliver.